is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Well, you know, we're becoming more reliant on computers and artificial intelligence every day. And that can lead to potentially dangerous problems. Tesla says it is recalling more than 360,000 cars equipped with the company's experimental driver assistance software. And then there's artificial intelligence. A New York Times columnist had a very creepy and bizarre exchange with AI that sounds like it was from a science fiction horror movie. We are going to go in depth on both of those stories. And part of a grand jury report has been released looking into former President Trump's claims of election fraud in Georgia. We will look into what happens next. One good thing that came out of the uh, pandemic uh, lockdowns was bank accounts in uh, debt got erased. Uh, the bank accounts grew. The debt was what was erased. But now people are going back to their old ways when it comes to spending. We'll go in depth on that. And there is the saying, don't get your honey where you make your money. More people are ignoring that and getting involved with their coworkers. You know, we did something yesterday on sex. Yeah. So this is like a continuation. I think so. Part this is two. Another side of the cor- the other side of the bed, as so, it were. So this is like sex in the office. <laughs> okay. We start though with uh, the Tesla recall. Paul uh, Eisenstein is the publisher and editor in chief of the Detroit Bureau dot com, which covers the automotive world. Paul, thanks for being with us. Oh, my pleasure to be with you. So uh, it sounds like a lot of cars, 360,000. What's the problem with the software? Well, this is the technology that they call full self-driving, which is an oxymoron because it isn't. Um, Unfortunately, many people rely on it more than they're supposed to. A lot of people take their hands off the wheel, which they're not supposed to. But unfortunately, it's come under a lot of fire, as you probably reported earlier, uh, because it is overstating its capabilities. And now it turns out that the software appears to have some problems. It doesn't work right, it appears, in certain conditions. It has trouble reading some speed limit signs and also knowing what to do when making a left turn. All minor problems, I guess, if you're a human, but when you're relying on software, to drive for you, it can be a pretty serious problem. And, you know, there, that goes back to the issue of when they first started uh, marketing their full self-driving, and it was never full self-driving. It was always a driver yeah. assist. What was the what was the holdup with Tesla and that they didn't want to just call it what it was and instead this misleading term that I think led a lot of people to assume the car could do things that it really was not ready to do? Well, they've done it all along. Look, they they did the same thing with autopilot, and now they're facing a lot of trouble. There's investigations all over here out in California, where I am, by the way, uh, at the moment. Uh, You have your State Department motor vehicles looking at uh, what they think may be uh, hyping false false advertising situation, which could ultimately lead them to even ban Tesla from selling vehicles in the state. Uh, There's an ongoing investigation by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration of the older autopilot system that could lead to the recall of over 800,000 vehicles. Frankly, they overstate this. They oversell it. Uh, We know that people have overused it. There's videos all over the web showing people that have gone to sleep while driving one of these vehicles, while climbing into the back seat, <laughs> while letting the vehicles drive. And and it works 
sometimes. But it you know, doesn't Paul, work all the time. But you know, Paul, what, one of the things that's interesting, and, and this isn't even Tesla, I saw a TV commercial the other day for another vehicle. I don't want to say mm-hmm. the brand because I'm not quite sure I remember which one it was, but maybe you know what I'm talking about. And it, they were also hyping the, the so-called you know uh, self-driving aspect of it. And in the mm-hmm. commercial, they actually show the driver with his hands off the wheel, you know, kind of like humming a tune as the car goes, you know, sailing down the freeway. Now, of course, they don't show the follow-up to that when it crashes into a truck, but I I don't understand how they get away with that. Isn't that the role of government to say to these companies, whether it's Tesla or, or Ford or GM, you can't do commercials like that? Well, I think you're talking about uh, General Motors Super Cruise technology, and and it does work on on hundreds of thousands of miles of roadway, but it has limitations. And when you, when you actually own it, when you read the owner's manual, it does tell you what those limitations are. It monitors the driver. It uses cameras to make sure that people are paying attention to the road and are ready to take over. Tesla had to be forced to the point where they installed monitoring equipment. Tesla has played it fast and loose. Basically, Tesla takes the approach of a Silicon Valley phone, smartphone uh, manufacturer. We will put something out there and figure out what the problems are and correct them later. Well, that's an awful serious problem when the person is operating a 5,000 or 6,000 pound electric vehicle and you're worrying about not just the people in the vehicle, but others on the road. Mm. Uh, Tesla goes much farther than any other manufacturer. And and that's reflected by a report by Consumer Reports uh, just a few weeks ago where they listed all these variable uh, self-driving systems or driver assistance systems. Right. Tesla went from being number one in the list to being number seven. Mm. Uh, Paul Eisenstein, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, publisher and editor-in-chief of the Detroit Bureau.com. Uh, right, right now, though, uh, we have been talking a lot uh, lately about artificial intelligence. We talked about chat GPT. Uh, Rob and I have both been kind of, you know, playing around with that. Yeah. Well, here's a very weird story. Uh, New York Times tech columnist Kevin Bruce was fiddling around with Bing's soon to be released new AI. And he wanted to push it uh, to see how far he could take the conversation. And then things got really really weird uh the ai chat revealed the true uh, personality i suppose it insisted on being called sydney it started to tell the columnist about wanting to uh engineer for example a deadly virus uh the columnist says that sydney also told him that it was in love with him and tried to convince him that his own marriage uh, the columnist's marriage wasn't very good and also expressed a desire to be human mm. And so the columnist has concluded that uh, he is frightened now, he says, by this technology. So with us to help explain AI is tech writer and software engineer Dave Arbach, who uh, used to work at both Google and Microsoft and has also tested uh, Bing's AI. How are you doing, Dave? Hi. Pleasure to be here. So uh, I presume you, you read this exchange, uh, Rob and I did, and it's online, by the way, if anybody is interested in reading it, 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 it it's quite interesting. What did you make of it? 
Um, it's interesting. It is a little disturbing, but not for the reason that I think a lot of people feel. It's important to remember that these AIs, these chatbots, do not mean what they say, and they don't even understand what they say. That they provide an amazing simulation of, of human dialogue, and they can be led down the garden path to say all sorts of crazy things. But there is no sentience or consciousness underneath that actually means these things. And it's important to bear that in mind because it's very easy to be tricked otherwise, especially given the sophistication of these AIs. How close are we getting to that, though? Because I've, I've, my gut tells me we're probably closer than most of us realize, that at some point uh, this, this uh, intelligent software is going to be wired very much like the human brain, except based on you know silicon rather than human cells. And how will we know or how could we know that something is thinking and has a self-awareness? That is a very philosophical question. And I guess the way to answer it is to say that something like the Bing chatbot and ChatGPT are actually farther away than it seems because they will contradict themselves. They will say one thing one moment and another thing the next. That in the moment, they can be very convincing. But I've also had it tell me that two, that five was not a prime number. I've had it contradict itself. Tomorrow, it could say that uh, that humanity is is wonderful and it has no dark designs whatsoever. You can coerce it to do one thing or another, and that doesn't really make it anything approaching consciousness. It makes it a amazing parrot, I would say. It's closer to a parrot in that it doesn't understand what it is actually saying. And okay. if you try to get it to explain what it's saying, it can't. Okay, but but here is, I think, where the more imminent danger, uh, and maybe I'm overstating it by saying danger, but it's the best word at the moment I can come up with, may come to play. And that is, I mean, take somebody, say some some young person who doesn't understand all the stuff that we've just been talking about, that it's not really self-aware, that it contradicts itself, that it doesn't mean what it says. But if somebody were, say, 17, 16, 15, and engaged in, for whatever reason, the kind of conversation that the New York Times columnist, and he's a pretty sophisticated guy, Kevin, uh, got into, uh, I could see the potential for an AI program in a way, manipulating, not perhaps consciously manipulating, but indirectly manipulating a young mind. Absolutely. And the intention won't be on the part of the AI. It will be on the part, it could often be on the part of the people who are running the AIs. Because it may not be Microsoft, it may not be Google that are running these AIs. We're going to see these AIs everywhere because they're going to get just cheaper to train and roll out. So you're going to see AIs with all sorts of bizarre agendas on behalf of their creators. That's what is disturbing about it. Yes, indeed, that these these uh, AI's capacity to manipulate uh, and convince people of various things is quite high, and there are definitely humans that will take that into account. It is the combination of the humans and the technology that's the problem, not the technology itself. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, because when we're talking about these chatbots, so to speak, they are uh, designed, programmed to mimic 
the human mind in a way, whereas before uh, systems were just information storage and retrieval, and it would have access to information and spit it back out at us. Uh, but these are programmed to mimic the mind. And, you know, if, if for, for a Trekkie like me, everything goes back to Star Trek. There's an old episode of the old show, The Ultimate Computer, where this guy designed this thinking computer. <laughs> but the problem was he was uh, very near a mental breakdown. And so the computer he designed was as well because himself was inside the machine. So when we're talking about these chatbots, these are designed by people. And as they tried to mimic the mind, it did it, it does a better job of mimicking the minds of the creators. It might bring out some darker aspects of their minds that maybe even they weren't aware of. And not just that, but the creators are all of us. It's not as though Microsoft handcrafted this. What they did is they fed in huge amounts of the Internet and other data. And what these AIs do is take that and regurgitate it, our sort of general collective unconscious. We shouldn't think that the people who create these ideas, these AIs have a great amount of control over them because they aren't pan, they aren't handcrafting the responses. They aren't choosing how it responds. And you can bet that Microsoft is going to spend the next year uh, trying to stamp out anything disturbing, which is exactly what ChatGPT did. They spent a year trying to eliminate any sort of um, uh, improper political opinions from being issued. But Dave, is is it, but, but, but let me ask you something, Dave. Is the technology, though, so potentially, uh, and I, now I am going to use the word dangerous, that it requires perhaps more than individual companies figuring out how to limit destructive manipulation on the part of their AI. Uh, and maybe it needs, frankly, government intervention to say, thou shalt not do the following. I'm afraid the uh, that horse is already bolted. Uh, technology gets more powerful by the year, and it will simply be too easy and too trivial to roll out one of these bots. I don't see how you're going to stop it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that certainly makes us feel better, doesn't it? <laughs> And, but it's uh, not conscious, and it doesn't want to destroy us. I can tell you about that. Yeah, but how do you know? Uh, and, yeah. and how do we know that we're talking to a human being right now? Um, I ask me to explain myself, and well, I'll do a better job. Well, than, well you know, Dave, yeah. you said you said before in 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 saying how the we have to be careful how much we we think the AI is really sort of human like that that you know they contradict themselves and all that. And it occurred to me as you were saying that Rob and I contradict ourselves <laughs> all the time. All the yeah. time. So I don't know if is that the stand is that the gold standard? Well, I don't know. <laughs> AIs will do it in ways that humans never do. Ah, I think that's the thing is that their mistakes, their blind spots that Humans still behave in ways that, you know, um, reflect how we actually exist in the world. These AIs don't exist in the world yet. Uh, Once they do, that's when I think we may start seeing some real progress. All right. But thank you. Servers, you're not going to see it. Right. You know? Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. You know, I could do. Uh, I think we should one day do a full hour on this because this is a fascinating topic. And, and seriously, I think it is. It, this is the future on the way f sooner than we think. Well, how do you know, for example, you were asking Dave, how do you know mm -hmm. that, that, that you're not now talking to an AI program? That's that's what I asked him. How do we know? That, no, but I, mean, I could, for example. For yeah, that. you could. And how do I know that you're not I an don't AI know. program? This is getting very creepy. Uh, I'm getting a headache. That was uh, Dave Auerbach. Uh, used to work at both Google and Microsoft. People, by the way, coming up, uh, people are falling in love again and with their credit cards. Uh, and they're also falling in love with their coworkers, which might be a reason why they're using their credit cards. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's, it all gets connected. Mm -hmm. We'll explain it a little bit later on.
And right now we are learning more about the Georgia grand jury report that looked into claims of 2020 election fraud in that state. Part of the report's been released and it finds no evidence there was any widespread fraud there despite President Trump's claims. And it also encourages uh, charges for some witnesses they say should be prosecuted for perjury. Melissa Redmond is a law professor at the University of Georgia, former prosecutor in the Fulton County District Attorney's Office. Uh, thank you uh, so much for taking time to join us today. So uh, what uh, can we really learn from this report? When they talk about perjury, they say some witnesses lied to them. Uh, we don't know which witnesses they're referring to, do we? We don't. We don't know which witnesses they're referring to, how many witnesses they said, one or more. It sounds like they have a particular person in mind, but it'll be some time before we know exactly who that is. Now, as I understand the way it works, and correct me if I'm wrong, if the DA in in uh, Georgia there, the Atlanta area, wants to or feels that there is enough evidence to indict anybody, she has to first go to a regular grand jury. Is that right? That is correct. This special grand jury was basically investigative in nature to find if there was criminal wrongdoing and if so, by whom. Um, they make those recommendations to the DA, and then if she decides to proceed on any of those recommendations or decides for herself, based on what the grand jury heard, that there is sufficient probable cause that a crime was committed, um, she has to present those to a regular grand jury for an actual indictment. Uh, based on your sense of this, do you think that we're close to an indictment in this particular case of uh, Donald Trump? It's hard to say what you, how close we are, because I would imagine that before um, the DA indicts anyone like Trump or any uh, Rudy Giuliani, any of the other people that we know were targets of the investigation, you pretty much would want to be ready for trial. So it's not like a typical case where you indict it, you have time between the time it's indicted and the time you go to trial to try to shore it up because the high profile nature of it, you would want all of your I's dotted, all of your T's crossed as much as possible before you even go to the grand jury. But you know, that's that's interesting because, and and we've heard that before, that because of the nature of the case and the personalities involved, you know, prosecutors, whether we're talking about local prosecutors or federal prosecutors, need to be extra careful. But whatever happened to the notion that the law treats or supposed to treat everybody equally? Um, There is, right. Well, you have to imagine that in normal cases, you do have that time. Right. And you're not under the microscope as much as you are with the case um, like this, a case that's that's as you can't get much more high profile than possibly indicting a former president of the United States. Um, As opposed to any other case, if you're indicting an armed robbery, all of that evidence comes to you fairly quickly and and you you don't have as much pushback from your potential potential witnesses because of who you're indicting. Um, which will be some challenges that she will face in a case like this. Also, this report indicates that uh, yet another investigation done into the uh, election in Georgia for 2020, and they found no widespread fraud that would have changed the outcome of it. How many times does it this make that the, the Georgia election results have been reaffirmed? <laughs> oh, I, I can't. I don't. My, know. my count is six. Of how many? Yeah, several recounts in several different counties, and I think it's important. I think it was very purposeful that the special grand jury put that in there. Um, especially seeing the reaction to the election, the, the change in the election laws. And I think they want to repeat yet again, there's no election fraud. There was no widespread election fraud. Um, and that also is important if there are potential charges coming forward um, to negate any 
issues of whether or not those actors intentionally committed a crime, whether or not they could have truly believed that the election was unlawful. And these special grand jurors are saying there's no way they could believe that. There's there's absolutely no evidence that there was widespread fraud here. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Melissa Redman, law professor at the University of Georgia, former prosecutor in the Fulton County District Attorney's Office. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Well, it's happening again. People across the country racking up a lot more credit card debt. The New York Federal Reserve Bank says total credit card balances across the country almost hit one trillion dollars in the last three months of 2022. And that's just my cards. <laughs> this uh, reverses a trend from two years ago when people were paying off credit card debt with the money that they were saving by staying home during the uh, pandemic and from the stimulus cash they got. Caleb Silver is editor-in-chief of Investopedia.com. Caleb, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. So is that what happened? Was it that during uh, the height of the pandemic, people were staying at home, they were saving money? We know that uh, there were many stories to that effect during that period. And so they weren't charging. Now they're going out, spending, drawing down their cash reserves or resorting to credit cards? Yeah, the personal savings rate went from north of 8% to down near 2.5%. That's kind of where it usually is. But also, don't forget, in the last year, we've had eight interest rate hikes by the Federal Reserve in order to cool inflation. When the Fed hikes interest rates, it hikes the prime rate. The prime rate affects everything that's variable. That's credit card rates. So you've seen APRs go from about 16% to 19%. You've seen car loans go from about 3.5% to 6.5%. And of course, mortgages, 3% to 6 plus percent. So as interest rates rise, we're servicing the debt becomes a lot more expensive and we're doing a lot of revenge spending. And especially in the last month, spenders kind of went away in December. Maybe holiday sales were pushed forward a little bit into October and November. People were worried about inflation. Come January, we started spending again almost across all categories. You know, I'm one of those people I have that urge in the past when I've managed to get uh, credit cards paid off. And then uh, I'd look at that balance. Ooh, it's at zero now. And then I see something I want. Ooh, new MacBook. And I'm thinking, oh, I can afford it now because I've got nothing on the credit card. But this last time, because of interest rates being raised up, uh, I have hesitated to do that. Uh, do you think more people will begin looking at this trend and the trend might actually uh, reverse as, as the interest rates keep going up? People are a bit more afraid to put something on a cart. Yeah, I think that people are going to get a little bit more skittish, but a lot of that depends on the overall direction of the economy. If we hear about more layoffs, if we do see that unemployment number rise, and it's really low right now at 3.6%, if that keeps going up and your neighbor loses their job, maybe you lose your job, maybe your company has layoffs, people get a little bit more tight-fisted with their cash, which totally makes sense. But right now, we're seeing big spending, and things are more expensive thanks to inflation. So airfare, a lot more expensive. Energy costs, very expensive as well. Uh, just utilities on heating and cooling our home has gotten very expensive, um, but pretty much across the board. You know what's happened with food. Food inflation is up 10% year over year. And if, you, if you're bringing food home, it's like at 11 or 12%. So everything's more expensive. So we're paying more. And that's also kind of why we saw that retail sales number rise last month. It was up 3% after falling, declining a little bit in December. Maybe we're buying less but paying more. I think there's a little bit of that going on, but that's going to cause people to pull back eventually. I have a fairly good credit rate, actually a pretty good one. And so I keep getting these ads all the time from different companies wanting me to get their credit cards, and they're all telling me what a great deal it is. Is there such a thing, though, now as a good deal on a credit card, or are they all just a bunch of you know baloney? Well, you're not only getting that, you're getting probably a lot of offers from your credit card companies to take a personal loan. So yes, your yes, credit right. card companies, 
your bank, everybody wants to loan you money and they want to loan it to you at a pretty high interest rate so you can pay off your debt. So there's really not much better, you know, there, there are options out there that you can use. Maybe cash back is useful to you. Maybe airline rewards. If you're a traveler, you're going to pay a high APR on your credit card. So you got to pay them down. That credit card debt will just eat away at everything. You don't want to pay 80 bucks for a $40 sweater because you're not paying off your credit card debt. So you have that going on and, you know, you're getting a lot of offers right now. The only make, it only makes sense to switch if you're going to get a lower rate and you're going to get some sort of a reward program that pays you to spend money. And there's plenty of them out there. And you're probably getting a lot of those in the mail and through text messages and through your email. So so that's the only way to get a good deal to get into the card is if you get a lower rate, uh, then that's what you should be looking for, right? Lower rates and better yeah. rewards. I mean, yeah. that's really what makes people move credit cards. It's really, you know, getting people to change credit cards is not so easy. It's like getting people to change banks. They're not that into it until they see something much more attractive, and then maybe they can consolidate some debt. So you're seeing those offers as well. It's really about each individual consumer and what they're comfortable with. But if you're not getting cash back or some rewards, you got to rethink what you're using in your credit purchases. You know, credit card companies and, and usually experts on credit cards always tell consumers that the best thing to do is if you charge something on a card, try to pay it off at the end of the month before you get interest on it so you don't pay interest. And credit card companies always tell you you can do that, but I have always wondered whether they really want you to because they're not making as much money, right, if you don't uh, end up having to pay them interest. At some point, do they not look kindly on people who keep paying things off before they incur interest? Yeah, you're not. If you're paying off your credit card debt every month, you're not their best customer. Their best customers are those that pay the minimum and have that big tacked on every time they pay that monthly charge. They're going to end up paying interest on the money that they owe. So they don't love those of us with great credit card ratings, uh, great credit ratings that pay off our debts. They like those of us that go into debt mm. and need them to service that debt. Yeah, they want you on the hook. All right, thank you so much, uh, Caleb Silver, editor in chief of Investopedia.com. See, that makes me think my bank doesn't really like me. No, they don't. If you pay off your credit card uh, yeah. every month, oh, they hate you. But I want to think that they, they tell me they like me. They could be trying to mislead you. You think so? Yeah. Okay, we're going to get personal here. Uh -huh. We did it yesterday. We're going to do it again. Mm -hmm. Here's the question. So you're at a job. Have you ever had a, a crush on a coworker? Mm. And and which sounds like a very kind of fifties thing. Do you yeah. ever have a crush do you ever yeah. want to, you know, date and sleep with a coworker? That's yeah. what we're talking about, yeah. right? I mean that is what we're talking about. Yeah. And uh, a little while ago, I uh, talked about uh, my wife and I were friends while we worked at the same place, but we didn't start dating until after. I have been corrected. Because now you're not friends? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we still are. Okay. But no, I was corrected that we did, in fact, begin dating while we worked at the same place. So I am one of the you're people. You're one of those people. I'm one of those people. You're guilty as charged. More people getting involved in workplace romances. New survey by the Society for Human Resource Management finds that a third of workers in the country, I either are or have been involved in a workplace romance. That's six points up from before the pandemic. With us right now to talk about it, Johnny C. Taylor, Jr., President and CEO of the Society for Human Resource Management. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. So um, when you look at these numbers, uh, do these numbers include the, uh, the after effects of these workplace romances? Do they work out? Do they not work out? Are they more successful? Or are they less successful? So, gosh, that's well. Th first of all, thank you for having me here. It's 
it's fascinating. What that's the problem with all of this research is we never know. One of the most famous work uh, couples in workplace romance was Barack Obama and Michelle Obama. Frankly, people don't realize that, but they started dating when they were at a law firm in Chicago. And so, guess what? That ended really well. Unfortunately, what we typically hear about are the stories of where it didn't work so well and either because they broke up and it got pretty ugly or because the company fired them and we were seeing it right now in the media with the good morning america uh situation right that that the company made the decision we don't know how healthy the relationship would have proven to be but what we know is they don't work there anymore you know it, it, there used to be a time of course when companies not only frowned upon co-workers dating uh, but often that would be in and of itself grounds to be fired. What's the situation now? Is that changing? Has it changed? Yeah, employers have really, we've sort of, <laughs> the, the horse is out of the barn on that one. We've literally accepted that people will date. And frankly, that was smart. We are in the middle of, you've heard about it, the great resignation turnover tsunami. I mean, whatever you want to call it, the last thing we need to do is put in place another barrier to people remaining with us. I've described, you know, I've been in this situation as a CEO. I have two star employees. I mean, phenomenal, culturally aligned, talented uh, from a competency standpoint, et cetera. And so I have a rule that says they can't date. Well, guess what? Oftentimes, I lose one or both in that process. So we've kind of accepted that was a silly rule. And increasingly, employers have said, you can date, but you must disclose it. Because ultimately, we don't actually care about you dating. What we don't want, though, is sexual harassment claims that flow out of people saying, well, it wasn't consensual. So increasingly, companies are saying, do it, but you must tell us first. And, you know, that feels odd, uh, something so personal that you have to go to your bosses and say, uh, we would like to inform you that we have entered a consensual dating relationship <laughs> and we are going to proceed forthwith. Uh, but then not only that, if things don't work out and you break up, you also have to go and inform your boss. Yeah, but, right? wait, but wait a minute. But suppose it is your boss. Well, well I think then that's a whole nother story. We're stepping into another uh, yeah, cow field. On but that but one. suppose it's that. Well, and let me tell you, that's not that big of a deal because more and more we're finding that actually a lot of people who we – when we question when you had a workplace romance, what percentage of those romance, romances were with you know, your, superior, your superiors versus your peers? And guess what? 10% of the people say they actually dated their supervisors. Mm. That seems like a can of worms yeah, I mean, to me though. Because that's, could that's be. where you get into the, uh, you know, when when they break up and you get uh, these claims and counterclaims. And that gives credence and some uh, ammunition to people who claim that any claims of sexual harassment or because they had a relationship and it didn't work out. Well, and, and so the one good thing as a former labor and employment lawyer, I can tell you one of the really important uh, elements of a successful sexual harassment lawsuit is you have to prove that it was unwanted. And so that's why you've seen a lot of employers say, just tell us that you're doing it because you're hard pressed, even if you're dating a superior to then come back and say it was unwanted if you reported it to us and you said this is consensual. Now, you could make an argument that, well, it started consensual and then it changed. And that's a whole different that's a you know, different story. But at the end of the day, that's why you're seeing employers say, even if you're dating uh, your superior, if you disclose it, it makes it far less 
likely that you'll turn around and sue us under sexual harassment theory. But when you say that employers increasingly say it's okay, just tell us that you're 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 doing it. Um, uh, I don't want to sound naive, but what's the definition of doing it? Uh, are we talking about if you go to lunch with an employee, uh, a fellow employee, every hold so on, often? Hold on. Yeah. What's the definition of doing it? Well, doing in, it? <laughs> in this, I know I what like, the definition. I know. I know what the definition is. But but my 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 point is at at what point are you obligated to disclose to your employer that you're quote doing it? Is doing it going to lunch? Is it going to a movie? Or is it doing it? So you, you've hit the issue, nailed it right on the head. That's when you know, and that's a judgment call, right? What we generally say is the first date, no. You don't know if it's going to work or not, and probably the second date. But clearly, if it becomes physical or truly intimate, and or if you all become a thing, a couple, you know, if it's clear, surely the first or two, first one or two dates, no question, you don't have to tell us that. You're sort of sampling, if you will. But even if it's the first date and it becomes truly, you know, a thing, they are doing the thing, as you're <laughs> suggesting. <laughs> even then, if it's the first the date, thing? you've got to tell us. No. Uh, we're thing, do, we're right? doing the thing? We're doing the thing. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, yeah, you could, I mean, you think about it. That, yeah. that one incident you know, yeah. you could, is, is the real issue for us. And that's when you create risk right. for your employer. Uh, if you want to, you can include uh, me and my wife on your list of people who had successful workplace romances because uh, we began dating. We, we, I think we've been together as a couple for going on 10 years now and uh, married for six. So, you know, things worked out for us. Right. And, and believe it or not, again, we don't have the data, but every indication and, is and, it and probably works out. We had to inform people we were doing it. <laughs> I mean, How I mean, dating. Feel. I mean, dating. That's what we're doing. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's we are we've again, we've come to the realization, especially because of the very tight labor market. But actually, it's just because we've grown past the days of believing that we can forbid people from doing something that they're going to do anyway. You know, we Rob, know that there's this thing called prox. Go ahead. No, I was going to say to Rob, uh, I, I would like you to, to bring in tomorrow a recording of the conversation you have with your wife when you go home tonight. I want to hear I'll, that tomorrow. I'll post the test, uh, text exchanges. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. We want to well, thank guys, you. Let me just tell you this. We, yeah. we know that research has repeatedly shown that proximity is one of the most powerful variables that leads to attraction. So you spend a lot of time at work, and therefore it is far more likely that you are going to develop a, a level of attraction for mm. people you work with than people you don't. That's, that's just that's very true. I'm looking at Charles right now. <laughs> <laughs> so are you all doing the thing? But, <laughs> but no, 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 don't don't even suggest that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you uh, for joining us today. It's Johnny C. Johnny C. Taylor Jr., President and CEO of the Society of Human Resource Management. The show has taken a decided turn. <laughs> but I'm not sure where. Well, I don't know where. <laughs> so, but that's going to do it for today's KNX. What a great time to end it. Yes. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes it today's is. Today's KNX in depth. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m.